Kid for me, Eli. Happy Friday, man. Eli's waiting for me to turn off my Wi-Fi and my phone. I get that look from him. All right, all right. There we go. What's up, Will? What's going on, man? Happy Friday. Doing, busy bro? week, huh? A lot of yeah. cool stuff going on. Busy week. And I want to do this from the get-go because I always get that other stink eye from me and I don't do this. It's just not my style. But here's the deal. If you're just now tuning in, if you'd like to find the Day $1.0 podcast, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. We live stream on YouTube and Facebook for your your visual pleasure. I put on a mint. I'm like a thin mint today. <laughs> felt felt refreshing. That's we got good, a man. we got a clean, cool cat on today. So I had to put a this is a brand new shirt just for him. By the way, Carhartt Spring Collection is out. Was that a was that so, a Tiger King reference at that cool cat man? No. Is that what that was? What's what's Tiger King? Oh, really? Just saying. I'm by apparently when people are watching TV, I'm working. Whatever. Whatever. Working. You're literally the first person that told me about Tiger King. We got the boss on yeah, the we podcast. Do. That's we why do. I'm saying I don't Let's watch Let's lock Netflix. it down. Let's lock it so down. So when he's watching me, no, I don't watch Netflix. <laughs> Who's that? No, man. I'm, I'm working. I got a life, Eli. But I put on a brand shoot. new shirt for this guy. And I'm being serious. Carhartt's Spring Collection. Nice. Okay. It's out. It's Not a sponsor. Yet. Who we got today? Who, who do we have the honor of having on the show today? We bro? have the man. You don't get bigger than this man. And what a what a extraordinary guy. We've had the pleasure to get to know him for a little bit. And we were on his his podcast yesterday and um just got to share a lot with the industry. But Chris Stewart is on today. He's a Berkshire Hathaway Home Services CEO. We don't know where he came from, how he did it. He's a little too awesome to to believe the story that's publicized. So we gotta get him on this podcast to just get the real deal. But that's right. Chris, man, can you hear us? What's going on, man? I got you guys. So glad to be here. Fired up. Man, I love that Carhartt Spring Edition, baby. Spring Collection. <laughs> collection. Yeah, right, next, right next to Victoria's Secret, this billboard yeah. is like me. <laughs> on a Carhartt Spring yeah, Collection. Yeah, yeah. I'm on to something. I, I need the support. We need sponsors. I'm on to something. So, Chris, hey, man. I love it. First and, first and foremost, happy Friday. Appreciate you having us on yours you know, yesterday. And more than excited to... Um, to get you on ours because obviously the, the basic synopsis of ours is just going over people's literal day $1.0 and however early that goes into their childhood or early adulthood, what it looked like for them. And then obviously just telling the story of where we're at now, but um, just for some of our listeners um, that maybe aren't exposed to the real estate industry and maybe don't know quite who you are. Can you give us some context on, on just what your responsibilities and your roles are right now and, and everything that coincides with what you do before we kind of back it up? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as the, uh, first of all, thank you guys, both of you. Um, just been a pleasure to get to know you and, and uh, really love your energy and spirit and every chance I get to be around you guys is, is awesome. awesome. Always thank come you. away fired up, a little bit of laughter, a little bit of motivation and inspiration. So it's always a good time. Right on. Yeah. So in my current role as CEO of uh, homes, basically the home services franchise group. So we operate the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services franchise network and then also the real living uh, real estate franchise networks. And so collectively we've got, um, you know, nearly 60,000 agents uh, around the world. The Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Network is about, uh, you know, probably pushing 52,000 maybe agents um, in more than 1,600 offices between the U.S., Canada, Western Europe, and Dubai. And so, you know, my role is to run this network, you know, create vision, create energy, create, um, you know, tools and systems and deliverables all in an effort to help, um, you know, manifest more productivity and, and grow market share and grow our network uh, for our for our real estate brokers and their and their agents. Well, it's and working, obviously man. serve the customer, right? I mean, that's the end game is to serve our customers, our real estate customers. Well, and it's been competitive. <clears throat> We've been around for a little while, 
And um, just hearing like some of the bigger names with the Keller Williams and the Remaxes of the world. And a lot of people thought that, you know, when, when Berkshire was first coming onto the scene that, you know, there wasn't laughs or anything like that, but there's been a lot of, you know, wealthy people or organizations that try to kind of tackle this obstacle, but there's been a lot of respect behind, you know, the ability for Berkshire to, to kind of withstand those, those early, early on storms with that and just Mm -hmm. not succumb to maybe some of those bigger hitters. And I'm sure that's a, that's a testament to a lot of the team that's behind it and, and, I think Warren Buffett might be on the team. I don't he might, know. He might I don't have know a hand the, in it. Yeah. I don't know that guy's real, but Chris, I just I gotta ask you, man. Like, have you have you seen that guy walking around? You shook that dude's hand. I mean, what's what's the deal with that? The only thing I've ever seen is a cardboard. Yeah, that cutout. guy's that guy's the real deal. He's he's living, breathing, man. What a uh, what an inspiration, and and Mr. Munger too. You know those guys. If you ever get an opportunity, I tell you that the shareholders meeting in Omaha, they do. Of course, they canceled it this year with the health situation going on. But that is a that's quite the uh, the scene out there mm-hmm. thousands tens of thousands of people and and mr buffett and mr munger are the key centerpieces of that and it's really it's a really special culture that absolutely helps influence the way that i think about my own role um here as the ceo of this organization and you know leveraging you know what they mean to the business world and trying to you know embody that spirit and and pour a little bit of that essence into what we're doing here is, is very, very special. Well, it's a, sure. uh, it's a, it's a special brand, man. You know, I think, you know, when someone hears the words Berkshire Hathaway, everybody has something in their mind that they associate that with, right. Um, regardless of what your status is, that's one of the cool things about, you know, Warren Buffett and, and the brand that Will and I personally like, man, is that, you know, it, it speaks to the blue collar person as much as it does the high end luxury seller. Like I think everybody has some sort of experience experience or, or feelings and, and like with Warren Buffett man who doesn't like Warren Buffett right you never hear anyone talking shit about right. it. he don't have any haters man you it's hard to it's hard to say anything bad about that guy that's right seems like it I mean I think so and if we were looking at this and look everyone can see Chris you're a good-looking dude you've got that nice black on today and like from my background of just dealing with just gangs and stuff as a cop I'm just imagining like just this underground of Berkshire being like like the mob, right? And I'm like, all right, that's cool. And then like, hey, we've got to we've got to work hard for Chris. So Eli and I are kind of like the knock around guys, trying to do some dirty work and, and impress Chris. So maybe one day we get to go meet Mickey or Frankie or whatever those dudes yeah, are called, yeah, yeah. aka Warren, whatever yeah, yeah. whatever they're calling him. And however we got to visualize it, we're gonna make it work. But what an extraordinary responsibility. Um, just in our little history of Eli and I, you know, being in business and what's open for us. You know, it's really good to have a plan, right? Like, yeah, what's your three-year goal? What's your five-year goal? But then some things that unfold, the relationships you have, the opportunities that get creative, you you couldn't have planned for it. You couldn't have imagined it it unfolding like that. And it's just crazy how relationships build things. And and we're obviously, we're still early on in our careers, but just to see where you're at. I'm so curious at like the relationships and opportunities and ironic pieces that maybe look like hardship, but it wasn't hardship and really what unfolded to get you where you're at now. I'm so curious today to kind of dive into that. So let's dive right in. Let's kind of get back to, you know, if, if you've got one, if you've had some time to think about it, but really, you know, just early on in your adulthood or, or just within business. And did you have any breaking points or, or when you think about it, what do you reflect on as far as what's, what was that literal day one dollar zero for you as far as back as you can see where this ladder started? Yeah. 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 It's good. So it's, uh, it's always fun. You know, I don't know where I heard it, and I'm sure you guys have heard it many times, but it's um, people say that, you know, it's hard to imagine all of the steps that you'll take in your career looking forward. Mm-hmm. 
But looking backwards, you see all the steps you've taken and, it and it's a perfect sequence of events to lead you to where you are. And, um, and I'm very much that case. You know, the interesting thing is I, um, so I born and raised in Dallas and, uh, you know, grew up in Texas, went to Texas A&M. Uh, it was just, you know, my grandfather graduated from there. So I was, I was always, you know, just dead set on being an Aggie. So I went to A&M, went down there and um, I studied biochemistry. And um, I really only studied that. You don't know anything about this COVID, do you? And I only did that. Don't just blow over. The, I, listen, um, Chris. Don't just blow over what you just said you studied during a time like this. And you got gold jewelry and black co- clothes on right now. It, you just you can't just blow right. I saw past that ring that, too, man. man. I saw that ring too. I'm, I'm paying attention, Chris. <laughs> so biochemistry, COVID. I guess we'll do the COVID later if people yeah, are still yeah. listening. So I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, Eli. Eli's not a football fan. Texas A&M is a college. Aggies. It's a big. It's a big honorable school. Great football team. Got it. That's like the biochemistry. That's like the oblong ball you throw and something. Kick it. Yeah, gotcha. Something. Okay, cool. I'm learning. I I'm learning. All that stuff. I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So uh, yeah. So you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do professionally, but I you know enjoyed science academically and actually um, at a career fair at A&M, I met these two recruiters that were there at the job fair recruiting for this company that was in systems integration and technology. And I just hit it off with these guys. They had an amazing energy and they were telling me all about their company and what they did. And I didn't understand one word of what they were saying, mm. but they said, Hey, as part of the interview process, we fly you to New York city. I'd never been to New York city. Wow. I'm like a senior in college. I barely even have been out of the state of Texas at this point in my life. And so um, I went, you know, went through all the interview and, and that sort of thing, flew up to New York City. They offered me the job. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And I only took the job because it meant that I got to go and live and work in New York City. Mm, so wow. I ended up grabbing an apartment with a few guys that they, uh, you know, knew hires, worked, worked in the same place. And uh, we moved to Hoboken, New Jersey, home of Frank mm. Sinatra. You're talking about Goodfellas. Home oh, of Frank Sinatra. It starts. It, it got starts, you yeah. early. It yeah. Yeah, see, yeah. it starts right there. The, <laughs> the Illuminati starts right there, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so, I, so I grabbed this job. Now, now just context, okay? Completely in, in a bubble in College Station at mm. A&M, just loving life, living the dream. And studying, you know, you know, science and all this other crap. So I go up to do this interview in New York City. And I remember sitting in the lobby. I'm on the 40th floor of this beautiful building, downtown Manhattan. I'd never been there before. I'm two blocks off of Wall Street. And I remember sitting there for the first person to come get me. And I picked up a brochure of this company. I'm sitting in their lobby interviewing a job. And I'm reading this brochure, and I didn't understand anything in this brochure. I didn't know what any of the <laughs> stuff meant. I, I, at that moment, I realized, oh, my God, I, what am I doing here? I don't even know what, what, what is but this. I wanna, you know? But I want to give uh, the audience some context, right? I want to give them some context because if you're going to take this as in like, hey, you can accomplish anything. I don't know anything. You were also studying biochemistry. Right. So I feel like yes. you got a big old brain in there, which I'm guessing it didn't matter what you wanted to dive into. <laughs> Everyone had to study for that job. You read a pamphlet, you read a brochure, and I'm guessing like the rest is history. So just a testament to your brain power, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of it. Right. So it was all about the energy, the environment, the people obviously got that job, moved up there, worked with those guys. I actually transferred with that company out to Silicon Valley. 
and then uh, ended up working at, uh, left that company and ended up working at Oracle Corporation as a global account executive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Oracle is one of the most prestigious, uh, you know, software companies in the world. So you uh, learned this job in the business. Was it just a pamphlet or like, did you, so you actually learned what you were doing? Oh yeah. Oh my I learned gosh. It. I learned it. Absolutely, man. I was, wow. I was awesome at it. I love technology. <laughs> yeah. here, was, here was the crazy thing again about looking back. So this was the mid nineties, right? This was 1995 in New York and then kind of got out to Silicon Valley full time in 98. So we were full fledged in the throes of the internet revolution. Wow. And here I was a young professional, you know, just literally earning my stripes from a professional standpoint, fresh out of college, learning everything at the same time the world was about Mm -hmm. the internet and its impact on the transformation of industries. And I was right at that intersection and it just, it just was completely happenstance in terms of taking that job out of school. I, otherwise I could have been in an engineering firm, mm-hmm. a, a lab. I could have been at a, a, you know, a chemical engineering plant somewhere. I mean, who knew, who knows, right? How could, you, you, could be, right you could be, in, you could have been in Wuhan right now, man. Well, right. But how were you so, how were you hey, so open-minded? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to, and I don't want to like cut off your story, but I want to take it incrementally a little bit and, I'm sure some people are curious as into like all the college and the studying and what you, and what you did for your degree where when looking back and you're just like, yeah, no, these recruiters, they were awesome. Like, listen, Chris, I've met a lot of awesome guys. That doesn't mean I'm going anywhere with them. Right. So what allowed you to just like, <laughs> cool, feel some good energy and you like him and you're, Hey, I've never been in New York. Might as well take an interview. But was there, did you have any reluctancy or any doubt or any, did you talk to your parents and what were they thinking? Like, because it was just so far outside of the scope of what you had been studying. What allowed you to be so open-minded to, because I think a lot of stuff in life is energy. And I also think that there is some intelligence to reading an opportunity and taking advantage of that opportunity. But when you're looking back at that, what allowed you to be so just so outside the scope of what you had studied for so long to be able to, to just take that opportunity? Yeah. You know, a couple of things, it's a great question. I think a couple of things. Number one is my two role models and idols and inspirations were my mom and my grandfather. So I never, I never knew my father. Um, in fact, he's, he's passed away now, but I never knew him. We never had a relationship at all. Um, so I'm just, as I, my remembrance is just, you know, one time in my whole life. In fact, I changed my legal last name when I turned 18 to my father, my grandfather's name. Mm. So my maternal grandfather, my mom's father, I, I have his last name. I, I did mm. that when I was Very 18. Cool. Good for you. He and my mom, my mom had me when she was 17. And um, she's just a hustler, worked two jobs her whole life to support us. Um, or, you know, during my, my, you know, when I was younger. And um, she was just very resourceful. And my grandfather was very resourceful. My grandfather actually grew up as a tenant farmer in East Texas. That means that he and his family, they were given a little corner of this huge cotton farm to have their home and live. And in exchange for that, they were the labor on the farm. Mm, And he was a, they picked cotton. That's what they did. So he didn't even start school every year until November after the cotton harvest was done. So he started school late every year by two months just so he could pick cotton. And um, when he got old enough, he joined uh, the army and, uh, you know, went and fought in the war and uh, came back, put himself through Texas A&M on the GI Bill, was an electrical engineer, worked only one job his whole life at the power company there in Dallas, Dallas Power and Light. And so I just saw that and I saw my mom and I just knew, you know, it didn't matter, honestly, 
my whole career has been this way. Not, it doesn't matter what you put in front of me. I have no, no reservations, no fear, no doubt. I just, just, it just, you know, I, I live by this mentality. You're either on the train or on the tracks and I love and that. I'm just on the train type of guy. Yeah. And I love that. And I want to, you know, I want to shed some light because Chris, this is something I've gone through with myself, especially this past couple of years of doing the Marine Corps stuff and, and, and government work and police work. And then now I'm a realtor. What are you talking about? Right. But they, if you, when I look at it, it makes perfect sense, but I had to be proud of who I was, be confident in who I was, but not place my entire identity behind a badge, behind an Eagle Global Anchor, behind something. And <clears throat> something I'm taking from you right now is I'm sure you worked your tail off. I'm sure biochemistry was extraordinarily hard, but you know, you probably had like maybe that entrepreneurialistic thoughts of, you know, and this, and I see this in a lot of kids that come out of college. It's very one dimensional. You get your degree and then like, that's what you are. And it sounds like you probably had a lot of fun in college and doing your biochemistry, but it didn't define who you are. You just, you've always been like, if something feels like it's a good fit, you've got enough confidence that if you dive into it and be resourceful enough and learn it, that you can still go capitalize. And it's more about what you're diving into and enjoying it and capitalizing on it versus staying one dimensional behind a, a degree and thinking that you just got to run that lane and run that play. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing, um, you know, so I would say, my, my grandfather and uh, my mother, you know, just put so much and my grandmother too, but so much uh, fuel in my, in my fire and wind in my sails. It, I just, you know, been always unstoppable for my mindset from that standpoint. But here's the other thing, you know, growing up, um, most of my young childhood, I, we lived in uh, some apartments, uh, this apartment complex and none, none of us knew our dads. That was like the common denominator. <laughs> we always joked mm -hmm. that, you know, the only holiday we didn't celebrate was Father's Day, you know, but we, we just, we were, we were, you know, a bunch of young guys and kids growing up and man, those are still some of my great friends to this day. And the one thing that at least for me about those experiences is even if I was a guy that had, you know, a little money in my pocket, cause maybe my mom, maybe, you know, or my grandfather maybe gave me a you know $10 bill and my guys didn't have it. That to me, that, 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 you know, I wouldn't, I don't want to go down to McDonald's if I'm the only one that can eat. All right. Yeah. So if I, if I don't have enough money for us to all to go to McDonald's and go grab a yeah. burger, or if we can't all go over here and watch the movies, then no, none of us are going to go. Mm -hmm. In other words, I've always had, because of those experiences growing up with those kids in the, the apartment complex, this, the idea that we let's just all be good together. Let's yeah. just all go do things together. And that professionally, what that's translated into, I've always been the person who tries to surround myself with, with like-minded people. And I try to pour everything that I have into the people around me, my best friends, my family, my kids, my coworkers. All I want to do is help people be the greatest that they can be. I just want to pour into them. And that's really been the essence and theme of my whole career. Hmm. Anywhere I've ever been, I want to make my boss look good. I want to make my teammates look good. I want to make my staff look good. I just want to make, I just want everyone to be on this journey together. I do not want to be on the on the proverbial mountain by myself. And we all go or none of us go. And, and that's I just, contagious too, man. That like to me is the common skill set. Yeah. And and that it's extremely contagious behavior. And I saw that at its highest level when guys are extremely scared and you're and you're training for combat and there's just a lot of things that are unfolding, you know, in mm -hmm. those moments. And um that type of leadership, <clears throat> you can trust it. 
you believe in it and you trust it. And yeah. when, you, when you put people around you that can believe in you and that trust you, extraordinarily, extraordinary things grow. And I'm also so glad you said that because I remember the first time we met you, you came to Denver and you were given this speech and not a speech. You were going through a ton of information and you were energetic and well, I got a ton of ideas in this big old head of mine. Right. <clears throat> I remember talking to you, but I'm also in real estate, but I was super direct. And I think I'm just, was just marrying your energy. And I'm so glad to know that you just want to pour into us and that you didn't feel obligated by intimidation to like help this, this big crazy guy in Denver with his <laughs> goals, because uh, and I'm being funny, but it's true, man. And I love being able to shed some light on this as far as how it helped you early on. And still to this day, because we're going to get into later, you know, how do you still approach every day like it's day $1.0? But I think you kind of answered it a little bit right there because it's, you know, no one's too big, but no one's too small. And <clears throat> the way you treated people early on in your career, where we're talking right now, is the same way you made Eli and I feel when we met you. You know, like, obviously, you're the, you're, you're the big man, right? You're, you're, you're on top of our company. We respect that. And there's a lot there. And there's a lot of people of, as far as chain of command that's in between that and a, a lot of experience, a lot of years, but you never made Eli and I feel like we were mm. too small. Even though we knew you were superior and we understand chain of command and who bosses are and certain things, you never made us feel inferior. It was always like, yeah, let's chat. You guys got a lot of great ideas. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> let's give some direction to those ideas. And then cool. And then, hey, as those come to fruition, let's not just talk about it. Let's actually take some action. Let's package it. Let's put it together. And then we can continue those conversations. But it's something I wanted yeah. to speak to because it, it made us feel really good to be a part of a brand when even the guy that's it's surprising man chain. yeah it's, it's surprising yeah. dude and you know this is one of these industries as i'm sure you know where you don't see a whole lot of loyalty you know and in real estate it is so easy to i mean you get recruiting calls multiple times a week it is so easy for a person to be swayed to go to a different place I'm surprised real estate doesn't have a tinder app yet like oh mad at your management broker <laughs> swipe right yeah. here's yeah. a new place want to yeah. go here you don't like their color swipe left oh you yeah. mad get back on real estate tinder and go here like holy crap yeah. man like yeah. But, Jesus yeah. criminy. but that's, it's real easy to be loyal, man. You know, when, when the CEO is, is taking time and you know, someone in your, in your spot where I'm sure your calendar is jam packed with appointments and phone calls and fires and obligations, you know, I'm sure it's so easy for someone to get caught up in, you know, Hey, I don't have time to talk to these two agents, but you seem to be the guy that understands that, Hey, if I'm taking care of the people that are around me and if there's people that are reaching out and I'm not there for them, then, you know, it kind of crumbles, you know, that's your foundation. Like the agents are the foundation, man. If we're not out doing deals, you don't have a job. Our or managing brokers don't have a job. 100%. Um, and very, very 100%. few people in leadership understand that, hey, you have to make sure that that foundation is rock solid. And if you see a little crack in that foundation wall, you got to get that guy out there to slap some sealant on that and take we care of that. that crack. By the way, we have a foundation thing with one of our deals right now. That's where that analogy. <laughs> Top of mind. That's in real Top time. Of mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, it's getting handled by a licensed professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, I did not run into the wall and create a crack, Chris. I promise. I was very careful. Um, but going back into it, man, as far as where you were at um you had that job you, you're in silicon valley and you, you end up with oracle you want to kind of dive into that at all or where that established you or what that next step forward was yeah you know that was um that was a, a great opportunity just because i was entrusted with a lot of resource on the part of oracle to say hey you're a global account executive which means your role is to go out to these trusted customers of ours big companies fujitsu hitachi siemens i mean some of the largest companies in the world and you're you're our you're our face, you're our mm -hmm. voice. So you want, you, you go out there and build a relationship with the CEO and the head of sales and the head of technology. And, and you're our person to go message what we can do and identify 
opportunities that we can help with their business transformation. And man, what an awesome responsibility. I mean, to be affiliated with one of the, you know, an organization like that at that time and be entrusted with those resources and that responsibility uh, was just enormous. And it just really, again, looking at my career backwards, it just instilled in me a confidence to say, man, you can help people change their perspective. You can help companies change their outlook. You can be, have a seat at the table to help people with their strategies. And all of that has been entrusted to you as an individual. Now you've got to, you've got to answer the call. That means you've got to study. You've got to prepare. You've got to be sharp. You've got to be a great communicator. You've got to be a great listener. You've got to follow up with people. So, you know, all of the things that, you know, in some respects you're taught, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, you're taught professionally, but a lot of that is just instinct and experience. And on the backside of that, it just, uh, man, what the confidence mm -hmm. that gives you to be in, in those kinds of settings with multi-billion dollar global enterprises. And this was, you know, nearly 30 years ago now. Um, and, and, you know, so that was just an incredible foundation on business and leadership and marketing and communications and sales and organizational <laughs> transformation that really carried, has carried me, you know, to, to this very day. Um, and then obviously going through the dot-com boom and bust and being at the epicenter of that meltdown financially and all the companies going out of business and, you know, just all of that carnage as a young professional, that was also a learning experience. Like you, you made mm -hmm. the comment, Will, in your opening, what you think is a setback is really a, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, a benefit or, a, or an asset. And I would say that was one of them. Fortunately, I was young and I didn't, I didn't experience any loss. I did, yep. you know, I, I didn't lose my job. In fact, because of all the changes, um, you know, we, we, we were better positioned Oracle as a big organization in the technology space. So I kind of came through the, the dot com bust healthier, stronger, more mm -hmm. vibrant, bigger financial opportunities. And, uh, well, and that was great. Can I ask, um, can I ask how you know, old those are all great experiences? Can I ask how old you were going through all that? <clears throat> 30 years ago, I was like the seventies, yeah, so, right? Why does it still feel like that? Why, do you ever feel like that, Chris? When someone's like, Oh man, 30 years ago, like the seventies. Hey, yeah. That yeah. was actually like 1990. Like yeah, you, yeah, you're yeah. thinking like, dude, Woodstock. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we, what, what's going yeah. on? So those, yeah. So those years were, you know, coming out of college, like 22 all the way till 30, man. So you were young with early 30s. going through all that ton of responsibility. Young. young. Wow. And, and yeah, yeah, it was, um, and yeah. what, what was uh families and, and I'm asking selfishly, man, cause I'm always looking up to, you know, guys that I perceive as good fathers and good husbands. What was family situation like then? When did you end up like, you know, kicking off the family and all of that? Cause I'm always curious how that coincides with working as much as I'm sure, you know, that, that took you to build up. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So I, um, so I moved out kind of full time to Silicon Valley from New York in 98 and, um, I had met the lady that would become my wife and still my wife. Now I'd met her in 97, mm -hmm. late 97, got uh, married in 2000. Mm. So in the year 2000, I was 27. Okay. Uh, we got married and, um, it's still doing, you know, doing good and, and she's working and I'm, you know, I'm at Oracle at the time. Yeah. And then I remember, I remember I, I just, I just had this, um, this kind of aha moment. I, uh, I closed a deal that I didn't <laughs> think that I was going to close. It was a total bluebird. I, I put a lot of work into it, but mm -hmm. I just didn't give it a lot of confidence. And um, 
the deal closed and I got the commission check. It was a big commission check, six figure net mm-hmm. commission nice. check. You know, it was a, it was a big one. And those were, those weren't uh, uncommon, but this mm-hmm. particular check, I just, I didn't have a lot of faith that it was going to close. And so right. when it closed and that six figures came in, I was like, Holy you know cow. what, honey, now's the time. Just stop working. We're going to start working on this family thing. Put that, you know, set that aside and did yep. some other financial planning. <laughs> and so, um, uh, that I was very fortunate um, and so blessed, particularly coming from a situation where my mom, you know, and, and her, you know, mm-hmm. situation of sacrifice and raising us with, you know, working two jobs. And I just always had imagined having this financial security and peace of mind before I wanted to start having children. Mm-hmm. It was like that commission check was almost that blessing, kind of a gift from God or a sign somewhere that says, hey, this is your peace of mind. And so we were very uh, proactive that, that way. Uh, so that was like the year two, you know, 2001, late 2001. And then we had our first baby, um, uh, uh April of 2002. Mm, cool. So you got to love a guy know, who's uh, like so put together. Cause I was on Chris, we were on Chris's podcast yesterday. I'm like, yep. Two weeks into real estate. haven't made a dime. Lost a buddy. Hey, we're pregnant. It couldn't have, you know, but for what, it, what that did and how that fueled me. And I've always just been kind of a cowboy, man. Like planning something too much might freak me out. And I'd, mm. I'd, I would probably destroy the plan just to go with no parachute and figure it out on my way down. But interesting on your thoughts. And, you're, man, you're so intriguing to listen to. I'm, like, dialed in so much to try to pull stuff from you. Because something I want to talk about real quick before we continue to push forward is you mentioned this this uh, this project that you had going on, this offer that you were putting together, correct? I'm not sure. Is it an offer or, or a, a um, for that company that with the the huge check you're putting together a proposal for this company, a bid or. Yeah, well, I, I was working on it. You know, it was a deal that I was working on for one of my clients. I just didn't have a lot of faith. I know. It was close. I know I, that. So yeah, I, let's, and it, and let's stay it, there for a moment. And I'm like, Oh my God. I know. Mm-hmm. But what I really took from it was you mentioned very briefly how much work you put into it, but didn't have faith it was going to close. Mm-hmm. And there's something really freaking important about the amount of work and work ethic mm-hmm. and performance that you need to have with yourself, not predicated on whether you think you're going to win a bid or not predicated if you think you're going to actually win the starting quarterback role on your high school football team or whatever that is, but can you speak you know, to that specifically of how important or, or where it comes from for you of the work ethic and the effort and the ability to execute even when you don't think it's going to work out, right? Like there's so much pride in someone's character and someone's ability to just have the pride in their work. Whether mm-hmm. it works out or not wasn't the point. It was how well you prepped yourself for that process. Yeah. Can you hit on that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point, brother. And I'm I'm glad you uh, stopped me and let's unpack that for a minute because I think it is a critical takeaway. Um, you know, I think the most important thing is, and maybe you know, now reflecting on it, maybe it's a little bit of part of my scientific background. But here's the thing: is we have to be detached, unattached, completely separated from the outcome. Mm-hmm. And what I say about the my scientific background is the fact that. You know, the mind of a scientist is we need to prove it. I want to prove it. I want to show you what the result is. And I don't care what the result is. I'm more worried about the process. Yes. And yes. if I, cause I can figure out the process, then I know I can anticipate or predict or make some modeling around the result. And so I guess my, my reaction to your question, which is a fantastic one is I've always been 
I've tried to be, I haven't always been, but I, I try to be very conscious about not worrying myself with the outcome, mm-hmm. really focused on the process and the things that I can control, right? I could control in that particular deal, my preparation, my effort, my energy showing up, communicating, doing all the things that I could do. I knew that there were some things outside of my control, namely the board of directors that needed to approve the deal and some other people that were involved in the decision process that I didn't have a great relationship with. And so I thought, well, in in, in some aspects, it's kind of a roll of the dice, but nevertheless, everything that I can control, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go all in. And I, and I, and I just, and I just believe that that is something that I wish our agents were more mindful of from two standpoints. Number one is, especially right now, a lot of the anxiety and fear people have is rooted in the fact that they're taking a lot of energy from the things they can't control about this situation. Mm -hmm. I can't control the length of this issue. I can't control the medical parts of this, this pandemic. I can't control, but I take all those things that I can't control. And that's what I think about most. Yeah. And what I'm saying is let that stuff go. It's so empowering to completely focus on the things that you can control and not even worry about the rest of it. Mm -hmm. That's where your power center is. Mm -hmm. Right. And here's the other thing. The second takeaway is this is I don't like that. So much of our industry is levered up to a commission event. So in other words, I'll make a call. If there's a commission on the other end of it, I'll do this on the, on the condition of an outcome. And that's just the wrong mentality. Like I want to be completely and totally in the service of others, period. And I've always been, been wired that way. I haven't made every decision in my life because of that, but I just try to be mindful and stay in that state is how can I help the people around me? And then everything else is going to work out. It'll just, it'll just come. I'm not going to, I'm going to be unattached to the outcome. Well, and it's, and believe it or not, especially in times, I'm sure you can speak to this because you were around from the get go, but just with internet and access to everyone and access to knowledge and that, you know, the social media and the things that you can project and put out there nowadays, you know, salesmanship or sales, right? It's relationships, man. Like, you know, we, we were on your podcast yesterday and you were, you were giving us compliments of, you know, some of the numbers that we've hit and we've never spent a dime on a lead. It all came from community in our sphere and, you know, parents from my daughter's school and just interacting and being involved in communities. And, you know, we said, Hey, the process of buying and selling homes that's sold. This is not multi-level marketing. I'm not convincing someone to take some, some meteor dust that's supposed to kill fat in 24 hours. I'm not convincing them of a product. Mm-hmm. The product is sold. Buying and selling homes, that product is sold. So if it's not the what, it's the who. And people want to know that you're honest. People want to know that you're consistent. People want to know that you're in it for the right reasons and that you care because they know you're going to approach that situation the Mm -hmm. best that you can. And you're going to find whatever conclusions you can and you're going to represent them as best as you can. Well, and I I like that too, man. That resonates a ton with me because with me and my personal training background, I'm, you know, I, I just, I, really try to encourage people. I'm like, Hey, you have to fall in love with the process. And I know that sounds cliche, but it, it's true. And most people don't really understand what that means. So what I would tell people, I'm like, fall in love with going to the gym. So if that means like taking certain supplements before you go listening to certain kind of music, like changing environment just so that you're having fun and can enjoy that aspect of it. Forget how much weight you're pushing, forget the actual result, forget stepping on the scale enjoy going to the gym, enjoy having the conversations, just the process of going to the gym. Next thing you know, man, three months go by, you're going to look at the scale and you'll be like, holy crap, 
there's some there's some results right there and it went by like that so to me that's a great way for people to stay on point and and to not focus on that end result because you, you don't necessarily have control over that you could have crushed on that deal and still lost and still missed out you know yeah. you lucked out and you got the commission yeah. but something tells me you, you you'd be in the same place you are today even if you didn't get that deal just because of your process of going about doing that and it's super important now like yep. i'm glad Amen. you mentioned that as far as like you know just with covid-19 going on right now and just people maybe for the first time at scale you know feeling like they don't control tomorrow or mm-hmm. and you know and they just don't know what's going to happen and we talked about that yesterday and i'm like hey listen you never had control tomorrow this thing that's going on right now might be shedding light to you to just expose the fact. But even when COVID-19 passes, you don't go back to like controlling tomorrow. Like that's just completely inaccurate. And, you know, but just imagine if people let that stuff weigh on them. Could you imagine if like the Marine Corps, you know, and these guys are getting ready for combat and knowing, hey, some people are going to die. And it's not going to go well yeah. all the time. Imagine like, well, I got, what if I'm one of the guys that, that dies? Why, why do all this training? Could, you, could exactly. you imagine the American military if they had that type of mindset? But just super important. Right. And I'm, I was so curious to see you say that. And I was always so curious to see, like, where that came from. And when you explain, you know, like the scientific background in labs, you're not going to control the outcome. But if you don't apply every proper step for whatever you're putting in that Petri dish or whatever process is going about, whenever you get the outcome, you're not going to know if that outcome is even accurate based mm-hmm. off what you were doing because the process was was skewed from the get-go. Yeah. It's tainted. And yep. you can't have it. You have yep. to apply a process perfect. That way, you know, when you're tracking all of that data, if, if it's tainted from the start, you, you don't know if you're getting false negatives over mm-hmm. here, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it could just be a bad situation, but it's so interesting to see how that thought process is so similar to yours, Eli, with fitness mm-hmm. and so similar to mine from a military background, how we kind of see the same thing from different perspective, but we're all applying it. And I, I do think, I think it's a huge lesson, <clears throat> especially right now with COVID, but move, moving forward, man. So, you got this big check, so but you didn't buy her a purse. You guys are saving money, right? And you're a good looking guy. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you were fine with just your good looks. I gotta buy my wife a purse, man. I gotta keep her around. <laughs> she's way better. <laughs> she's smart. She's way better looking at me, man. She's a code writing guru like you. I'm. I'm so glad you're not my age because you probably would have stole her from me. <laughs> I'd be a sad country song right now. So everything works out <laughs> for a reason. But so you guys are deciding to do that. You've get the, You've got this big commission check, and you guys are starting your family. And what does that look like, man? Where did you guys start? Super small? Were you? You know, what did your career look like at that point? And and I'm sure you've got some fun stories as far as just managing careers and and having poopy diapers and these little humans running around at some point, right? I'm sure there's some good stuff there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's been great. It's been great. So, um, so now there, we've got an 18 year old daughter, a 16 year old son and a 13 year old daughter. So a senior, a sophomore and a seventh grader. Yep. And yeah, it's been great. It's been great. You know, the kids are awesome. They're such great kids and just so blessed. And my wife is the, uh, the rock of the house. She comes from a great Italian family her parents were back to this whole mob thing and you being in new york every time something makes sense i'm gonna say it we're gonna and then we're gonna do like this whole i know we're gonna do this whole scientific study on how many connect the dots how many positives he's got and we're gonna find he's related to tony montana or something (laughs) all right so wife is a mob wife's from the mob (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. okay that's what i'm dropping i'm dropping those easter eggs what's your what's your wife's what's your wife's maiden name if you don't mind me asking (laughs) Smith. Fiorenza. <laughs> oh, for sure. Way too fancy. Of course. Tell her I'm on I'm on the home team. Though. Yeah. Yep. 
Oh man, we got Fiorenza, Futia, Gagliardo, Galuzzo. Oh, we got oh man, we got the whole thing, bro. It's 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 quite the it's quite the environment for sure. But um, yeah, so that that was great. And then um, you know, so what happened was I uh, I built a great friendship with a guy at Oracle, and uh, he and some of his buddies from business school uh, were putting a business plan together to open a mortgage company. Mm. And um, you know, I just had that entrepreneurial you know kind of. Uh, fire, you know, a little bit burning. And uh, so I decided to leave Oracle with this, with this guy. And um, we, uh, we went up and and they had, you know, already kind of put the business plan together and just needed some other muscle to help, you know, get it, get it off the ground and and some other muscle. Was this, um, was this around 2000, was this around 2008 or so? No, this was 2003. (laughs) So you did not cause the crash is what I'm getting. I'm being funny. Exactly. Just everything leading up to it. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So we, um, so we did that. We started a, uh, a a brokerage that became a bank and, uh, we were cranking and we were, you know, we, we, we built it up. We were covering a a six state region here in the West, uh, Western part of the U S and, um, had 250 loan officers working, uh, for me, That, that was my responsibility running sales and, the other guys, we kind of divided the responsibilities up and then, um, we did, we did well, obviously the, the correction came in 07. And so we lost, uh, one of our offices in Phoenix, but otherwise we right sized the business and, nice. and, uh, did that. And then, uh, the guys wanted to sell the, the brokerage. And I felt like that was a good time for me to really go and focus on the real estate side of the industry, which is something that I had, I had been thinking about my cousin had made a career change from technology into real estate and went to work for Gino Blafari, mm-hmm. who I had gotten to meet and start develop a friendship with. And so I really never even considered anything other than going to work with Gino, just because I had so much respect for the guy. I saw what he had done with his career and um, we were coming out of the recession at this point. And, um, and so I said, Hey, Gino, let's, let's come together and do something together. And so he gave me, uh, some leadership responsibility. I took over the franchise division of Intero and together we, we grew that organization to the seventh largest real estate brokerage in the United States. Wow. And then, um, you know, Berkshire Hathaway called and wanted to buy the company. And so that happened in 2014. And then he and I, Gino and I moved over and uh, became a part of the franchise group at, at home services and then we ran the franchise company together from 2015 until last year, late 2018. And he got promoted into the CEO of home services. And I took the CEO role of the franchise group. So, um, it's just been a, it's just been an interesting series of, of, um, moves and progressions. And here's the interesting thing. And I've shared this with a lot of people too, is the only job I've ever had that I needed a resume and the interview for was the very first one out of college. <laughs> Every position I took from there was based on a personal friendship yeah. and a relationship and on the basis of what, you know, what, what, what made the most sense in the chemistry that I had with those people. And they were probably um, knew what you were so all it's about. Been special. Those relationships also yeah, know exactly. you're vetted. So it's like, you didn't have to turn in a resume to a stranger so they can read what you've done on a piece of paper. Right. It, and it's almost like reading a book versus being in someone's experience. But when you have these relationships, they understand exactly who you mm-hmm. are and what you're about and what you've accomplished, but uh, man, how, I, how crazy was some of the, you, you almost sound like the Dana White of real estate, man. Like you took like literally nothing existed and you guys are building that, you know, and mm-hmm. you're building something else and then it gets sold to like 
you know, the 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 big man per se, but you're still running it. Like Dana yeah. White, they sell that thing and, for four and, billion, but he's still running it. And curious, but, I'm curious what that's like, man. Um, you know, you and your buddy Gino on the grind. You know, you guys known each other for a while, and then you got faith in each other. Hey, let's build this together. And and you're grinding out and doing your thing. What's that like when the phone rings and it's hey, this is Berkshire Hathaway. And, Hello, this and, is Warren. And, and we want to buy we want to buy your your business. What's that like, man? How'd that feel? Yeah, that was, um, that was kind of crazy, you know, because, uh, we were, we were rocking and rolling and, um, didn't really know, I didn't know what it would mean. Really. I, I just didn't <laughs> know what it would mean. And, you know, would be, would there be a position for, for me over there? What would I do? And right. who are the other people there? And what kind of politics enter the equation, mm-hmm. you know, because Intero uh, was, was privately owned, you know, we didn't, you know, it was just a small group of people and, you know, we could make decisions quickly and we had complete autonomy, yep. no one telling us what to do. We were just marching, running as fast as we could go. And, um, in fact, the crazy thing is, is, you know, in 2015, when I joined the franchise side of the business, I could have stayed in tarot and taken a job there and done whatever, you know, various roles would have, would have been available. Um, but my love and trust and appreciation for Gino was so strong the only role that was available at the franchise company was for a franchise salesperson. So I literally started at the, you know, at the entry point franchise sales, sales and yeah, nothing door to door. I was proud to do it. I was yep. behind to do it, but I had no ego about it, but it was just interesting that I just, I knew that just stay the course, add value, help Gino do whatever I can, regardless of what it says on my business card, mm-hmm. bring all the you know tools and skill and energy and, 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 and experience I have to the table and everything will work out. And, you know, four years later, I'm the CEO. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Eli is learning some stuff here. I feel like he needs to do whatever he can to bring value to me. <laughs> to like make sure right? he, like, he was just way <laughs> well, up on this train. Well, I like that. And that's, and that's similar to uh, like. Is what, that what you're saying, Chris? I, feel <laughs> I like, think so. I feel like you're just speaking like I, to me. I'm the that. janitor right now, but someday I might have a spot you in this start, company. You better huh? start making my bed, Eli. <laughs> Uh, but but that just goes to show, man, that just, you know, what a humble dude you are and you're not driven by ego and you're not driven by title or, you know, anything like that. And and that's really, guys, like I, I just hope you guys that are listening can take that to heart just to realize, hey, just get after it and just kick ass and literally put your all into whatever it is that you're doing and understand that where you are today isn't where you're going to end up. This isn't a forever thing. This is a chapter in the book. And each chapter leads to another chapter and leads to another chapter. And so many people aren't willing. I, I mean, I'm sure that was probably a step back for you, man. I bet yeah. just knowing business, your income probably didn't go up that year, right? Like it, that was probably a little step back for you. Yeah, no, I've, I've taken, I've taken many step back, you know, mm-hmm. steps back. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's about, um, to me, it's just never really been about um, anything other than being around great people and adding value and contributing. And um, I'm, I'm sure that if other people were to see my you know, path, they would have made different decisions. And not mm-hmm. to say that those would have been the wrong decision. And, and I'm, I, you, know, you could debate my mentality and philosophy any number of different ways, but it is just the way that I'm wired. I, um, I really lean into my relationships with mm-hmm. people much more than I do again, the outcome, um, or the paycheck. And I just, I've just always been primarily motivated by helping, uh, you know, the people around me become better and and add value. And you're right is, I don't know, whatever it is, is that I feel like a lot of people, particularly young 
younger people or people that are having some challenge in their life is, you know, you know, you operate with a language of self-talk, you know, and the self-talk is very powerful. Mm -hmm. It's the most powerful thing that drives people's success or failure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're either a victim or a victor. And when you're a victor, the, the victory is not the opposite of a setback. A setback mm -hmm. is part of victory. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, people set self-talk is that the setback is the opposite of the victory. They're the one and the same. You know, I was telling a group of, of our agents that I was, I was on a call with earlier today that I said, hey, embrace the struggle, embrace the anxiety, embrace the uncertainty. Because you know what? Each of those things is keeping another person that's competing for the same food you're trying to eat from doing the things yes. that you can do. Yep. So embrace that those things are there because that, that if those things weren't there, you wouldn't have opportunity. Correct. So embrace the reality that those obstacles are there. <clears throat> that is your opportunity door. Well, you I just have to open it and go through it. And it's just endure. Huge. Just endure. Just well, endure longer than the next guy. Here's the deal. Even, even like adding something to that before you embrace it, you need to accept it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to accept it before you can embrace it because yep, like yeah. let, let's use covid for an example hey whether you think it's fake whether you don't whether you think all this is crap or not here's the deal you're not at work you're not doing showings you're not going to the store if they don't want you to go to the store it's real mm -hmm. it's here it's real yeah. whether you think it's for bs reasons or not great Japanese. doesn't matter yep. it's here yep. right so same thing like a car accident yeah. You can sit there and bicker about who was at fault, but if people are bleeding out and legs are broke and someone's head's off, problem, right? So, hey, mm -hmm. accept yeah. what's going on. <laughs> embrace the fact that we need, to, we need to do whatever we have to do right now to get through it. And then whenever this dude's head gets put back on, we can have a conversation of your conspiracy on what happened. Yeah. And that's fine. Beetlejuice ran out yeah. and you, you had to swerve and that's why you hit someone. Fine. But it doesn't matter right now so i i love that embracing yeah. some of those struggles and you know the marine corps we call it embrace the suck but mm -hmm. i think before you can truly embrace it you just have to accept that like it or not it's real yeah and real and yeah. just and just own that um, accept it embrace it and understand that it's a necessary part of it and you know for me i think part of the reason that you know i i love doing what we do which is just business i'll call it not even real estate just the game of business is you know from weight training i got so comfortable with the fact that hey because i failed at this weight first of all i pushed myself to my limit and then had a buddy help me through with some forced reps but i literally got excited every time i was able to push myself to that failure because i know okay i finally stimulated that muscle enough to where next time i'm here it's going to be stronger and it's going to be bigger, right? Interesting. Like I mean, I've never had yeah. a spot before. The, <laughs> I've always just handled. But, always just but just like having it. that understanding of like, hey, this failure is a direct correlation to the success that I'm going after. The whole reason that I'm here at the yeah. gym is so that I can hit this point of failure. It, it was just so like just natural for me. Cool. Failure equals growth. Failure equals growth every single time. So I started chasing that yeah. failure. And in business, man, there couldn't be a better lesson than that to actively go and cool okay a little little failure awesome what did we learn cool i'm not going to make that mistake again yeah 
Yeah, that's an interesting way to say. I want to get your thoughts on that too, Eli, because I I almost disagree with you a little bit, but I I think I'm I'm just stuck on a word of failure Mm because I think what you were hitting was a point of exhaustion where your body just didn't operate anymore and then it got stronger. Mm -hmm. And that's one way to look at failure, but then there's also failures of like you don't accomplish something or you make a mistake. And for me, you know, sometimes, and depending on the type of failure we're talking about, because I have a little bit of a hard time when people get overly happy about their failures. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like this stigma in today's society of like being happy about failures. I'm not happy about failures at all. And I just got to be honest. I don't, I'm not happy about them, but I do understand that when I'm growing, there's going to be things that I'm not prepared for. There's going to be some, some level of unknown. So I embrace them and I accept the fact that they're going to be there. But I don't, they don't make me happy. But I do see what you're saying when it comes to the gym because you literally brought your body to max mm-hmm. and then it was forced to fail. So that failure feels like an accomplishment correct. because it's it's anatomically correct. I mean, right. you, you brought your body to a max exertion. Yep. Awesome. And then the next time when you do it, you're, you lifted five pounds more mm-hmm. at the same rep. And you, you it, it's almost like the accomplishment was the failure when I, it comes to gym. I, but in yeah. other realities depending on how you're looking at it, like I don't want people to get stuck or maybe I'm wrong, but they just failures with business or with the relationships. And I understand they're going to happen. I embrace them. I want to move forward from them and I, and I analyze them. I'm not happy when they happen though. And Chris, I want to get your opinion on that too, man. Cause you, you've got the bird's eye view with a lot of things, but we've had a couple of, even just some of our mm-hmm. friends when we've heard them, you know, within the last eight months or so talk about them. Some people just seem way too happy about a failure. And I dude, I don't know if I'm just strung the wrong way, but I'm just like, I'm all for adapting and moving past them. But like you laughing about it and being happy to fail makes me feel well, weird. That has the opposite effect. If you're actually like happy about it, then that pain that you should feel, which causes the change in behavior, because really it's the pain from the failure that causes the change. Yeah, if you're happy about it, you're not feeling the pain, which means you're not going to experience the behavioral change. Pick a side, Chris. I want to remind you who I am. But <laughs> well, pick no. a side. <laughs> we, are, we are talking the same Choose thing, though. Carefully. We are We are talking the same thing, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's a function of which side I would choose is a function of what's the issue at hand. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's no glory in failing in a real estate pursuit because in this business, you're either first or you're last. Mm-hmm. So Bobby credit, you know, you know, I think it's, I think it's just a function of, you know, what, what is the situation? What's the issue at hand around the failure as to whether or not it's, you know, it's positive or negative. Very Mm -hmm. good leadership response to make us both happy. I love it. (laughs) You're under the gun right now. We're live. You're under the gun and you're just draining threes. And I love it. Now I do want to get to something. Hey, that's having three teenagers. Yeah. No kidding. Right. The reason I'm so happy to have some men call, in my call life. It, call it five teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, because him and I. Yeah. Dad, who's right? Um, you know, yeah, you can tell us both to shut up. It's more than okay. But something that I, I kind of want to, you know, and this is also relationships are great because all this business and it's great. But who you are bleeds into everything, you know, that you do. And it's fun to have some of you guys, you know, that are ahead of us. Like, I know I talked to, to Don, John Dovenbarger a lot at, at, um, at Berkshire with the, the office that we operate out of in him and I will go back and forth and just kind of have some good stories about kiddos, you know, and his kids are older than mine. And obviously he's a little bit older than me as far as a father. And it's fun to be able to like, 
just resource some of these guys that are a little bit ahead of you that you respect that just might have a little bit more poise because they're a little bit more callous to situations mm-hmm. you, yeah. where you think something's a big deal. Maybe it's not because they've been through it, but it's incredible. And I want to hit on that because when we were on your podcast yesterday, we got so many comments when I was giving moms credit and just throwing yeah. some props out there for how awesome moms are. And, and then you, you kindly, so res- well, you, you, you made light that, Literally, the idea like his wife led him to is like why he's good. Obviously, like mine had a very huge role in just mm-hmm. the way she saw me, what she thought I would be good at, and then and then from there. But we've covered a lot in business with some successes for you. If we could go back to where you were starting your family, I would love to hear not only how we see how your business grew and, and what you accomplished, but can we marry up the family side and like where where your relationship grew? where you guys got better as parents, where you got better with your marriage. What were some of the, the struggles that you guys had, but yeah. how did you overcome them? Because what I'm starting to notice is I want to make sure that I grow like that in the same manner. Like I don't want to be the successful guy, but it sacrificed my family. And from, from the sound of it, it sounds like your personal life, your marriage, you know, not, not error free, right? I'm assuming none of us are error free, but I'm so curious to, to just get some insight on what, what that side of the road looked like while you were growing yeah. the professional. Yeah. You know, it's, um, really everything for me starts with my wife, um, Monica. I mean, she's, if she weren't who she is, there's no way that I'd be who I am, you know? And, and I, I got so lucky in, um, you know, finding her and us, you know, have, you know, building our family together in the sense that she's very focused on our family. She's yeah. a very traditional mother. She comes from a very traditional background in terms of her, her parents and her whole family, you know, immigrating here from Italy. They are very grounded, centered people, her whole family. And, um, her whole focus is, is our kids and their health and well being. And she lets, uh, you know, she lets me do everything on the professional side. So every move I've ever made professionally, every move we've made, you know, physically and you know, what we do with our finances and things like that. Um, there's, there's never any, you know, there's, there's collaboration and discussion, Mm -hmm. but from that standpoint, it's a very balanced, you know, kind of relationship. And quite frankly, um, you know, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily a hard person to get along with. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that, but I just, just being, you know, in an intense career and, and from time to time being under varying degrees of pressure, her calm and her kind of, you know, just uh, traditional nature is really kind of the anchor of our whole situation. And I would say that as parents, you know, we, we very much agree on just philosophy mm-hmm. and how we've raised our kids and where we put the priority in terms of education and athletics and, you know, the friends that they choose and the time that we spend together. You know, we, we do a lot together, our, um, our whole family, all five of us, and we always have. It's a close-knit mm-hmm you know, really that's, that's the most common comment that people make about us when they see us out together, not our family, but friends and other people when we, when we're out is how close all five of us are. And uh, I think that's just a function of, you know, just the environment and the tone that we set as parents. And there's a lot of very close, but to get to that, to get to that level of seasoning, like let's use Eli and I as a couple, for example, 
him and I have had our discussions. He may have slammed my door a couple times, Chris. <laughs> Definitely not me. Not you. No, not at all. Stuff. I'm no. a thin man. Yeah. I'm a thin man. <laughs> but hypothetically, let's say he slammed a couple doors and a couple discussions, but we were always in it together. It was never a point of like him and I breaking up with the business, but definitely some obstacles in communication and learning each other and being dedicated to mm-hmm. each other. And obviously we all know through marriage, it's, it's tenfold, right? And so for you guys to be that successful, I love hearing it, but I know there's got to be some days where you are a knucklehead and she's Italian. So was your laundry ever out in the yard? Did she ever like, (laughs) did she ever happen to have a knife cutting steak in her hand and you said the wrong thing? I got to get a funny story out of you of like a fun lesson learned or or where you, or where you just maybe have had some, some growth. Well, you know, um, there hasn't, there hasn't been much of that. Nothing really, uh, nothing funny for sure. The, um, here was a crazy situation when my daughter, our firstborn, was 18 months old. We were uh, up in uh, Tahoe. Uh, it was Christmas time, so it was snowing out, and um, uh, our daughter had a peanut, and she reacted to it. Oh, so we wow. found out right then, in the midst of a just like a blizzardous snowstorm up in the mountains of Tahoe, Shit. a day, be- two days before Christmas, that our daughter was going into anaphylactic shock at 18 months old. Oh, wow! God. And so. You know, rushing her in this in this snowstorm into the hospital, and her face all swole up like a basketball. And she was 18 months old. You know, we didn't know she was going to die. We didn't know, and you know, and then um, dealing, you know, dealing with that that peanut allergy and all that goes into just like the sensitivity of the mm-hmm. the eating and the preparation and all this stuff. Man, that has that has been a huge kind of like galvanizing mm-hmm. uh, part of our family. And then the crazy thing was, my son doesn't have a nut allergy, but my youngest daughter, she too has it. Mm, and then when she was like four years old, she had um, she started having epileptic seizures. So my youngest daughter Juliana, and she has the nut allergy too. And so, you know, just dealing with adversity. Mm-hmm through the lens of what it means to your family and your children has been very um, centering, I would say for us in the sense that it just keeps things into perspective. And, you know, I can only imagine what the parents and families of children with really significant health issues, because I wouldn't call our kids issues significant compared to a lot of the other tragedies that families have to deal with. It just, it just creates a perspective where you don't sweat the small stuff. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? We just, you know, we just don't sweat the small stuff and, and we just try to keep a perspective about what we're doing as parents and just, you know, I would say that it, it has that dealing with that. Here's what it does is it creates a level of maturity in the, in the type of conversations you can have with your kids. Cause mm-hmm. you're t- now you're dealing with a two year old, three year old kid telling them about the severities of eating the wrong food that could kill them. Mm-hmm. Now you wouldn't normally have that conversation with a two or three year old child. Mm-hmm. You don't ne- normally now my, my you know youngest daughter starts having epileptic seizures when she's, you know, five, six years old. Now her brother and sister see that now that they're young kids. Now you start talking about death and the reality of medical conditions and things like that with children at that age. It just, instantly elevates mm-hmm. the level of dialogue that you can have with them about anything. So now they come into the teenage years and you're talking about drugs and alcohol and, and you, you're just, we're just able to have a very real frank, candid conversation with our kids about whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just honest. It's truthful. It's candid. And, 
And I, I would say that the, the blessing of the issues that we've dealt with on the health side have, have created that level of mature conversations that we're, we're able to have with all three of our kids. And I think they're better for it. Well, it makes you, know? you guys realize yeah. that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Well, right? kid, kids yeah. are kids are yeah. resilient. You know, we, I've seen a lot of unfortunate things as a police officer, and I'm sure it's not even as bad as, as other stuff is out there. But just from the lens I can speak to, and just kids are resilient. They can they can handle a lot more than, than people give credit to. And like you said, yes. you know, based off of your circumstances, you really mm. didn't have a choice but to just expose them to that. But then what a blessing in, wow, how much your kids can handle, how mature they become from it. And just from a couple standpoint, like we, you know, I've still got Chris, believe it or not, I saw some friends that like they've been together for like eight years and they don't have kids, but they got dogs. And I just laugh. I just laugh at them. <laughs> I just laugh. Right, but right, it's right. so fun because I do think having kids together, it brings a relationship to another level because you're both trusting each other to commit to, to kiddos and, and doing the right thing and committing to the right thing and being in this together. And, and it's such a wonderful feeling. We can go home and like, you know, man, you've got someone who's got your back, no matter what, as long as you're good to them, not mistake free, but you're good to them and you're doing the right things and you're doing everything that you should be doing to contribute to that relationship. And then you've got kids on top of that. It, it brings a relationship to, um, to a huge level, but I'm so glad you hit on the kids stuff because obviously with some things that are going on now in, in nowadays society, there was, there was a whole thing of like sheltering our kids. And I don't think that necessarily at scale, that was, that was the appropriate response. I don't really know where it came from, but it seemed like it was kind of at scale across the country. And based off of circumstances that are going on right now, I think all of us are forced a little bit more to just have those honest conversations and just be a little bit more real. But I think in reality, the bigger picture is that, a lot of youngsters are just going to be a lot more prepared for what's to mm -hmm. come because it was necessary to maybe expose them to some of those, to some of those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Why we don't want to keep you too long, but I want to hit on, on, on one more chunk. If you're cool with it, Chris, um, we've kind of heard yeah. like that, like your start, your literal day one dollar zero and, and the path that your life went down. Um, I want to, it's a two part question. And then I've got one question at the very end. It's a really good one for you. We're going to save that, but this two part chunk and Eli, if you want to add in more than welcome, but we definitely want to hear, you know, how do you approach, you know, and we kind of heard how you approach every day, like it's day one dollar zero. You're still giving, you're still adding value to every single person, but where the drive, like how you have not forgotten how to approach every day, like it's day one dollar zero. And then just where your career is headed right now or where the brand of Berkshire Headspace is headed right now. And, and if you could um, throw some forecast toward that for us as well, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, here's, here's what I have a burning desire to help impact. Okay. Every single year, the national association of realtors surveys buyers and sellers who have closed a deal within the last 12 months. I think it's the most compelling comprehensive view into the key behaviors and trends amongst buyers and sellers that's out there. And every single year they, they ask, clients, would you use your realtor again? And overwhelmingly 80, 85, 90% of the time, the clients say, yeah, absolutely. In fact, if you go back 10 years ago, 2009, NAR asked all the buyers, Hey, will you use your realtor again? 87% of buyers said, absolutely. Well, this year, 10 years later, we ask, did you use your agent from the previous transaction? And only 12%, <laughs> only 12% say oh, that they shit. do. Yep. So that gap, okay, that gap between 90% who desire to be loyal and 12% that actually are, I call that gap 
the loyalty value void. There is no customer loyalty in this industry. And it speaks to a lot of the, 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 the nuance of what you talked about before. There's no loyalty between the agents and their brokers. Mm-hmm. And it's just this carousel, just this revolving door of transactional mentality yep. that I think is the biggest competitive threat to our industry. That gap between 90 and 12 is where all of the billions of dollars in quote unquote disruption is aimed, yep. aimed at unraveling the value that great real estate agents like you guys are and the value that you provide to your agents. That's where that disruption is aimed. And so I've got a mission. I'm on a mission to make sure that every single person that's within the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services family is aware of that void, accepts that void, and takes personal responsibility to make sure that they close that gap in their, in terms of their own business mm-hmm. building activities. And here's the thing, right? There's a couple of things. Number one, a lot of agents would say, I get a hundred percent of my business from my referrals and past clients. And I say, well, that's fine, but that's not the point. Do you get a hundred percent of the business that's available Correct. Mm-hmm. inside of your network of past clients mm-hmm. and referrals? And the answer to that is absolutely not. In fact, mm-hmm. I think most realtors only get about half of what's available if because that. as you know, there's four or five other realtors that are also appealing to those very same people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Here's the other thing. The other thing is that most customers, most real estate customers, they don't transact enough real estate with enough frequency. The average right now is every 10 to 13 years because there's not enough frequency in the transaction buyers and sellers don't develop enough muscle memory to understand where is the value? What is specifically the value that I'm paying for? Mm -hmm. Therefore the realtor's job needs to be more educated. Mm -hmm. It needs to be more instructional and prescriptive around all of the things that we do that provide value because in the, in the absence of a, of a value metric that consumers understand, then then they don't know what your value is. Then they're going to go, of course, compete Race on to the price. bottom. Yeah, they're going to go shop yep. on price. Race to right? the bottom. Absolutely. And so that's what I really want is I want to make sure that the real estate consumer understands that our quest is to close this gap by articulating and exhibiting our value and delivering on that value and recognizing that if they want to go somewhere else because it's less expensive, that they can go make that decision just like they can in any other industry. However, there's going to be compromises just like in any mm-hmm. other industry. Mm-hmm. You're going to make compromises to pay less. And, and so I, I think there's nothing more deserving of our time and attention as an industry because in the absence of this mission, we will continue to be marginalized and our ro- role and responsibility will, will com- continue to be commoditized and we'll continue to see the compression in our, in our revenues and value. It's just a natural, it's going to be a natural thing that happens if we can't do this right. It's got to be value. And I'm, and you know, we shed a lot of light on that on your podcast the other day when we were talking about the example we gave of our buyer presentation slash experience. And I, I, I've kind of walked some folks through that. And then we also spoke about how that can become video content and how you can build value at scale mm-hmm. through your social media platforms with how you're doing it in person. But, you know, and then just, you've also got to expose, like you're supposed to be advising you, you. Sometimes you have to teach people how to look for value. And we, you know, like with these flat rate places and different stuff, it's just something that you have to combat. And we've had mm-hmm. people ask for, for a price reduction, you know, and this and that. And, and I say, Hey, listen, Kev, I'll sell your house for a dollar. More importantly, let's sit down and let's go over this process. Let's make sure we give it the care that it's needed. Let's make sure you're okay 
with the the outline and the process that I have prepared for your for your situation before you even give me a dollar. So I don't even address when people ask for mm-hmm. discounts or because they've been kind of shopping around and maybe ha- they haven't spoken to me yet or it's a referral, but they were already looking at some other discounted places before, you know, I contacted them. The bottom line is like, hey, if, if there's something financially that's a situation, I'm okay with that. I'm going to help you out. But I want you to yeah. see that, hey, and the reason why I say a dollar is they know I'm not being literal. But what I'm trying to get their attention to is like, hey, I'm not going to make the price the obstacle. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure you understand what's entailed with this process. And I want to make sure that you're confident in my ability to execute it before you put a price on myself or a price that you're willing to pay. And believe it or not, yeah, when, exactly. you, when you mm-hmm. go through that very, you know, we're, we're not getting 1%. We're not getting rock bottom down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We give some, some discounts here and there and it's all good. Cause we're averaging two to three referrals closed for our clients. Like we're okay with that, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's just about understanding your role as an advisor and being able to lead people. And maybe when they're looking at a dollar, don't just have this obstacle in front of you and you're addressing it and it's a back and forth or a negotiation. We hear a lot of realtors talk about that. Like, yeah, no, that's always negotiable. Like, well, that sounds terrible. Just identify that that's not the conversation yet because Mm -hmm. whether I sell it for a dollar or not, if you haven't let me prep, if you haven't let me expose you to a process and if you're not confident with my process, don't give me a penny. Let, yeah. Let's show, let's be here first and then let's put a, let's put a price tag on it. Mm-hmm. Let's build some value first, but you got to understand how to articulate, how to be comfortable in those conversations. And you got to understand how to articulate that. But like you say, Chris, if you're caring for people and you understand how important it is to give them the value and the knowledge and the importance of behind this process, you're okay to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, as Mr. Buffett says, price is what you pay. Value is what you receive. hundred thousand percent. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm glad you just said that because forecasting for Berkshire would love to. So that's your, that's your personal goal and, and re- what you desire. Where do you feel like uh, not only maybe the industry, but specifically to Berkshire, where do you see this going the next couple of years? And is there some, some light you could shed for us? Well, I, you know, I, I'm always inspired and, and um, motivated by growth, you know, and it's not just, it's not just growth for the sake of growth. It's that I believe that, you know, not me personally, but the, the output of my leadership and the essence of what I'm trying to accomplish should result or manifest in an environment that's better for people to be affiliated with. And so the, the, the scorecard, right, of what everything that I'm trying to pour into our network and our vision is people being attracted to it. And so, you know, from that standpoint, I want to continue to see us growing. I want to have a legitimate business presence, you know, leading market share presence in every single market that we operate in around the globe. And I know that Berkshire Hathaway has the, what I call the halo effect, the affinity of the organization and the awareness around the world. And so we need to meet that in terms of the real estate piece. Berkshire Hathaway Home Services needs to do its part to meet that affinity and continue to attract the very, very, very best people in the industry to be a part of this network with us. That's something huge. That's in the Marine Corps, you know, like you're, you know, like something that's very says my literally Chris, my dad was protecting the Marine Corps from me. As an, or like, like he didn't want me to, you know, like when I was first starting to talk to him about going, it was like, Hey, Will, I need you to understand that guys go to the Marine Corps to be a Marine. This isn't about college or who's going to pay for what. And if you get a GI bill on top of it, Hey, that's great. However, when you're going, 
here's why you go. And it's, I've always been a fan of that. I've always been a fan of just having the, you know, having people that were, you know, the right fit. And in, and in real estate, we all know this, right? You could pretty much hang your license wherever you want because you pay to be there and that brokerage is going to get a cut of your commission or, or if it's a hundred percent brokerage, they're going to get some type of transaction fee from you, but something's getting paid. So we've got this man because of that, there's been, a, at least from our lens, there's been a mentality of, you know, agents running around to different brokerages wondering what that brokerage can do for you. When in reality, no. what you need to understand is a great place wants to know what you're, hey, yeah, you can hang your license here and it's all good. We've got a, but we've got so much value and so much culture here. What are you going to do to contribute to this brokerage? What's yeah, gonna, and, and I promise you, I promise you from my experience, from the Marine Corps, from, from infantry, from everything that I've done, that mentality of, hey, this organization is going to be okay whether you're here or not. What's important is that you do all you can to provide something of value to this organization. And then the long version of that is how much value you get in mm -hmm. return by doing your part, unspeakable. But if you don't understand that, you're no good here because this isn't like, well, what can you do for our brokerage? This isn't about sales. This isn't about anything. This is understanding. If you're coming here with the mentality to give, if you're coming here with the mentality of what you can do for others, you're going to get so much back in return. And if you can understand that you're going to be a great fit for this organization. And I think that you guys yeah. embody that. Hence why Elon and I are, are proud of it and we're here and we're around it. And, and we, we love it, man. We love it. Well, and the million dollar That's question great. for me, Chris, <clears throat> before we go, Berkshire or Berkshire? Yeah. <laughs> Does it depend on who you're talking Will, to? <laughs> Will was killing. Will was killing that thing, just murdering it yesterday. What it's Berkshire? It, it Berkshire. What? What? It, hold on a minute. Oh so, man. Hold on. Now listen. My mom's an English major, so we just got to talk about this. If it's Berkshire, then it's also Worsh. In water, not water, not wash. Okay, like That's if, Nebraska if, slang. If it's is gonna what be Berkshire, is. yeah, it's 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 Midwest Berkshire. Then it's, it is. Did you wash your clothes? Did you wash your hands? Water? Did you wash the water? <laughs> yep, hey, yep, look. Yep. But it's I'm, an English. It's an English word, so you can thank our our uh, our British friends over there. Gotcha. Berkshire. So, Berkshire so they do say Berkshire. What's that? They do say Berkshire. I feel like, listen to me. Man, yeah. I'm so disappointed, old, No, dude. hold on a minute. I'm so disappointed. Chris, listen. That's old. That is, that's, that's European. That's old English. That means if you're from there, that's you like, say Berkshire. That's like King if, James version. Yeah, if you're, if, you're, if you're from the Old Testament, you say Berkshire. If you're from Denver, Colorado, you're going to say Berkshire. And I do it on purpose so people know where I'm from. It's just... I'm be, I'm being oh, that's too funny. All right. Well, glad, glad we finally got the answer, man. hundred percent. Any, yeah. um, any last words that you want to, um, that you want to leave these listeners with man, as far as just, um, just if you're on the beginning of your day, $1 zero, if maybe you found some success, but you might be off the rails a little bit about resonating with approaching every day, like it's day $1 zero, any, um, any last pieces within the idea, uh, ideology that you want to leave with everyone? You know, I would say that, um, it's all about, uh, you know, creating a great foundation, you know, you got to create a, a great foundation and, you know, be, um, be excited about learning whatever you're doing. You know, one of the, one of the most frustrating things I, I experienced with salespeople, particularly younger folks in their sales career is, you know, they get up and I'm motivated to go read this book or read that book or listen to this podcast about whatever it is. And they don't even take the time to read the contract of whatever it is they're selling. They don't even take the time to read 
the industry statistics and understand the backdrop of what's going on in their own environment. Yeah. You know, and it's just such a wasted opportunity where people don't become the expert of what they are doing right now. And I always imagine this, you know, as salespeople always looking to get to the next level, you know, and I always picture and, and try to get people to imagine young, young salespeople to get to imagine that your, your career about getting to the next level is about jumping from where you are to the next level. And if you're going to jump, imagine you're standing on a platform and you've got that next level that's out in front of you. It's five feet in front of you and two feet above you. Think about what's the foundation of the platform that you're on. Mm -hmm. Is it solid? Is it thick? Is it sturdy and solid? Or is it just nimble? Is it just like a, you know, a piece of rope or a thin little stick? So build the platform wherever you are. And sometimes that's the value that you're getting. So you don't, you don't always measure the, the scoreboard isn't always dollars and cents. Yeah. Sometimes the scoreboard is process and, and learning and discipline and reading and information. And I just, um, I just get so aggravated with people that don't even take the time and discipline to read and understand what they're doing right now. And um, I think that's an important lesson for particularly some of the younger folks in starting their sales careers, whatever they're selling. I think it's huge. And I think just, just the visualization and just a mindset going into it and, and something I speak to sometimes and I use professional sports and we, you know, because we idolize athletes and we idolize, like when you hear the Ray Lewis's and the Tom Brady's and we're watching the ESPNs and we idolize how much film that they watch and, and like, the passion Ray Lewis has for film is just asinine and you respect it and the, and their craft and it's glorified and it's football and, and they don't see their family and they're working weekends and they're training and all to be the best at the professional level of football. And something that I really try to hit hard on is why aren't you considering yourself a professional in your own yeah. industry, right? Yeah. Or if you're not there yeah. yet, why, why don't you have the mindset of if you can watch on TV what it took a guy to get to that level as a professional and, and all the academics and the film and the training and the recovery and the rest and the food and the time on the field and all of that stuff. We idolize it with athletics. We idolize mm -hmm. it in Hollywood with what it takes for when we respect a guy that goes into character and is like weird for 14 months before they mm -hmm. film the movie. And it's like, it's so respectable. And I think people don't realize, Hey, you can actually approach your own life in yeah. your own, your own industry with the same amount of intensity and you can actually yeah. be a professional within what you do, but you've got to understand the workload and, and the amount of intensity and dedication it's going to take to get you there in yours. Like it took for yeah. them to get in theirs. There's no difference. There is no difference, yeah. but sometimes it's just our mindset of what we're going into. Like, Hey, apply yeah. that to your own life and you'd be surprised where you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My man. Well, Chris, hold on well the line said. for a quick second, man. We're going to chat with you right after this, but we're going to we're going to exit this out and wish everybody a happy Friday and hey guys, if you got any questions for for Chris, if you go on to any Berkshire technology websites and is it, it is websites, right? It's not websites. It's websites. <laughs> I just hey, boss man. I'm just I don't want my knee That's I don't funny. want my kneecaps getting hammered That's off funny. for for saying something wrong. <laughs> I just want to make sure we're good to go. But if you guys have any questions for Chris, if for some reason you can't find yeah. a way to reach him, obviously reach me in this knucklehead right here. We'll make sure we, uh, you know, for the right price, we get your question answered. And uh, and we want to wish you guys a happy Friday. Any any last words, Eli? No, man. Right on. Appreciate you guys listening. Right on. Day $1 Zero podcast out. Oh.